With Beast or not to Beast, Lordi entered a new era, one which brought with it energy, renewed focus, and a different sound. While Lordi had shed the baggage of the past, such as their own country's disownment of them, in 2014 a documentary would release which would cast a light on that once more, but also would trivialise and fictionalise the band, their image, music and history. That documentary was Anti Hassa's Monsteremis or Monster Man. And that's where we start today. You're listening to Season 2 of Monsters of Rock, The Lordy Story, a True Metal Podcast production. I'm your host, Matthew Kessie, and this is the final episode of Part A Evolution, Episode 4, Scare Force 1. Mr. Lordy and Kimo brainstormed many ideas about how to do this, one being a reality TV show following Mr. Lordy's life, which would have been in the vein of the Osbournes or Gene Simmons family jewels. But with Mr. Lordy not being able to show his face, that wouldn't have worked. But there was one key thing they both wanted to do. And we and, and the idea that we had then was this, we decided that let's try to make a documentary film that is showing all the work behind Lori and showing all the all the all the 
art and all the heart that goes into into making that the lorry train move you know the the, the the music that it actually it is the most important thing the music the all the thoughts and all the ideas and all the brainstorming with tons of different people let's show the the love that is within me and my band and my child and also with with the rest of the band and the and the <laughs> label and the management and all the and, and and especially with the fans and let's show the the, the black and white contrast of my civil life when I'm when I'm just home or when I'm at my cabin doing nothing or still yeah. doing lot of stuff maybe but it's just like like when everything is quiet there's just like nature there's just like fucking birds singing and the you know yeah. rivers flowing and all that shit and I'm just playing with, with my dogs or you know petting my snakes and all this shit and then you know direct cut to to the to to somewhere where the people are saying yeah and you're in the costume so let's show the difference between these two worlds like living in finland living at home nobody cares and then show the show that uh, uh, when we go to work you know let's show let's show the contrast that was the main point let's show the contrast and let's show the work that is done behind it once this was decided Mr. Lordy and Kimo asked another childhood friend, Auntie Hassa, who is an acclaimed and acknowledged documentarian, to direct and produce the feature. Mr. Lordy had been good friends with his little brother, but hadn't spoken to Auntie for a few years. They got in contact, though, and set out their plan. We sat down and we started this long project. He got the production company. Everything looked good, and we we decided, okay, yeah, yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, sh- and we made direct, you know, lines that what are we gonna show and what we are not gonna show. And he knew very well, as well as the production company and the producer, they knew what we were after, what we wanted. However, what the band wanted and what Anti made would end up being two entirely different things. Mr. Lordy puts this down to Auntie's priorities changing in the early months of production. And then what happened? That it was the time when Otis died. When all of a sudden we realized that this, his, his way of filming changed. His, his priorities changed. I mean, the directors. Okay. And he admitted that later on. You know, uh, that then he saw that this thing happened. So then he saw that there, that he could make this a little bit, a different kind of film. You know, he could make this, he could have a different kind of angle to the film. And moving forward, then, then there there was, there there were these warning signs when, when, when we were about to go on tour and he didn't want to come and he had all these kinds of excuses that why he he doesn't want to come to film the tour. He said, yeah, yeah, but I was already with you guys on the previous tour. And said, like, yeah, but now we're going, going on another. And come on. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't have the money. We don't have the money. And I called the production company. Yeah, he has the money. He can do it. And yeah, and all this stuff. And then the weird thing is that, that I was always calling him that hey now by the way tomorrow i'm gonna meet this and that person i'm gonna have a phone call with this and that person i'm gonna with this i'm gonna meet let's say uh, the band guys we're gonna go to rehearsals we're gonna start writing new stuff we're gonna start rehearsing new stuff we're gonna start building the new stage set we're gonna do this and he was like "Mm, yeah well i don't think we yeah i don't think we need that but then 
the same time, he would call me that, hey, could we go to your mom's and, and shoot something? I would need something. I said, what? Okay. Well, you know, I would I, I would maybe need a scene to just a little bit show a little bit more of the softer side and your family thing. And it's like, uh-huh. you know, like that. And, and as time, well, it, it was a long project. I mean, he was filming us for, I don't know, quite a few years. So The issues and concerns Mr. Lordy and the rest of the band had would be confirmed then in the first edit of the documentary. My ex-wife was the first one who, who already in the very beginning of the project, she said that I don't trust this guy. That there's something fishy about him, that there's something strange. I didn't believe her. Yeah. But in the end, it turned out that she was right. <laughs> to begin with, the whole thing was that when 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 he showed the final i mean the, the the final product or actually it was like the first offline edit of it of the film i was like what the fuck there was like nothing of what we have agreed on there was no nothing behind the scenes there was no writing the songs there was nothing with the band there was there was like none of these good shows there was only like like this weird fucking talks with my mom or with my best friend you know yeah. and those two persons have nothing to do with fucking lori and they those 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 scenes are staged you know, those conversations were originally, uh, I had them with someone else and not with my mom <laughs> yeah. or Pete even. I mean, those, yeah. those, those conversations were, were I, I, I originally I had them with band members or manager or all the record label guys or something and not, not with my mom or Pete. And the thing was that like, that, and it's like, like the whole film was about me all of a sudden and all the negative, all the, all the obstacles that were there. And he like, like put them, he made them bigger, the obstacles than they actually were. They, he made, he, he managed to uh, manipulate the, the, the feeling of the thing that they, that they touched me personally or the band and the band like like much more deeply than they actually did and okay. and you could think that at the same time that that these like sad things are happening in the movie and you get this weird thing that weird feeling that nothing is going on I, it could be that at the same time we were filming that or shooting you know watching these scenes that you know i'm at the cabin or something the next day we could be you know performing in front of you know, you know yeah. i don't know fifteen thousand people in yeah. fucking you know germany and you know but but he decided to leave all that out and then he decided that it's a better film it is a better story without all these excess band members and all these extra people there we just use them when they fit the story when they serve the story uh, in a way that he wants and i was like dude it's a documentary yeah. now you're making a fiction Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, it's my film, and I got so angry at him that this is my fucking life. Yeah, and you are. This is the biggest backstabbing I've ever had in my fucking life from any fucking one, and I, I would not fucking believe it." The Monster Man documentary would eventually release in 2014, and despite Mr. Lordy and the band's request, Antihasa kept the documentary pretty much untouched from that first edit. The issues that can be seen in the film are obvious for fans upon viewing, from the overemphasis on Eurovision, the rock to run closure, relationship with Mr. Lordi, his mother and his friend Pete, and Lordi's inclusion on the Battle of the Band show, Corsota. There are also content 
problems as well, such as Miss Lodi's coat being taken and placed on a stand-in for shots in Rovaniemi Square. So that is not Miss Lodi that you see in those scenes. Lady Abba's unmasking scene as well, and placing words in people's mouths and setting up conversations as well. Let alone not including any interviews with any current or past members of the band. This all then led to Lordi, their management and the record label boycotting the film. Through all of this chaos though, there was a new chapter being written in Lordi's history. And that chapter was Scare Force One. Lordy on their previous two albums headed to Nashville, Tennessee to record them. But with the honeymoon period between Michael Wagner and Lordy over, in part due to the documentary being filmed during that time, Lordy decided to make a change on their next album. This time, they decided to record in Villa Mesopotamia in Sarkiarvi, Finland. This being a cabin previously owned by famed Finnish comedian Spede Passanen. At some point of my at my life, I realized that half what I'm half of it what I'm speaking to with my friends, half of it is like it's fifty fifty. Uh, fifty percent is me, and fifty percent is what's better someday wrote on some movies or some skits or something so it was like it's just it's just in us yeah. <laughs> no, after after that that uh, nashville experience yeah again, and maybe because atmosphere wasn't that good and maybe we are not so happy with the end result and so everybody is like now what and it was so clear that we are not going to do a third album there and everybody wants to everybody say that I want to record this album in Finland please let's stay in Finland and let's go with uh, uh, Carmila Mikko the producer so we know what we get and let's not make this any more complicated <laughs> as it has been you know yeah. and then we started to talk I don't know how it went well, I know how it went, but I can remember. But me and Mr. Lori, we talk about possible places we 
where we could record it and somehow this you know comedian old summer cutties was on the table and we were like okay that's it <laughs> so that was different that was so relaxed very 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 like needed change after nashville music city <laughs> Most of the band members would spend their time at the cabin recording Scareforce One with producer Miko Carmela. Apart from Mana and Ox, who recorded their parts at Finvox Studios in Helsinki, this being due to the logistics of getting equipment to the northernmost part of Finland. With the ever-evolving nature and sound of Lordi's music, trying to develop their style while also maintaining the essential elements of Lordi for their fans, is a hard balancing act. It's melodies. That's it. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, it's you, uh, well, how to make it like. Um, I think uh, it's, it, it needs to, to uh, oh my god, how, how should I say this? <laughs> it's, you, you gotta have a sing along chorus. I guess on Scareforce One, is there any particular song that you feel is most like traditional Lordy on that album? These songs, what I'm looking at here, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a different album. Is there a, well, Frankenstein is one of my all time favorite yeah. live songs. I love it so much. Nail Pat Hammer Frankenstein. Um, okay. Well, this is totally different. Well, when you look at it, yeah, <laughs> I have to answer. No, there is no butcher level masterman on this album. <laughs> right. Okay. And <laughs> get with um, "Nailed by the Hammer" of Frankenstein. What is it about that song that you enjoy to play live? It's just uh, well, the riff. <laughs> the riff, riff. Okay. The whole, the whole song starts. It's yeah. like this is like a like a fast ACDC train. You know, it's like 
song calls like it's like punch in the face it's like that's the song that you gotta have your feet on the monitor and you are like come on this is this is i don't know it's really great live song yeah Lordi's A&R manager, Janne Halmkrona, throughout his time was continuing his work with the band, working alongside Mr. Lordi to help with the album layout and song selection process. The album's structure from this point forward becomes an interesting feature as it starts with an atmospheric track, SCG7, Arm Your Doors and Crosscheck, but also ends with one too called ETA. Like uh, every album is a bit different, but I, I'm I'm s- such an old guy that I, I still think of like of vinyl albums, like side A and side B. Yeah, and I, I I like to make the album flow in a way that you have to in the middle of the album you kind of have to go up and get up and go and turn the vinyl and so there there's that that kind of rhythm for the whole running order. And of course, with Lordi, there's always the first track, the intro track, and and, uh, and then we kind of want to uh, surprise people with the first song in a way. There's always like it has to be some kind of statement, the first song. Okay. And and that's that's about the best that I can explain now. It's always the songs. It's always like you have to you have to hear the songs first, and then you have to make. Yeah, but with Tommy, it's like that. He always, he's almost had like pretty much everything figured out. But then we together we make the final touches and like we'll probably change a couple of songs here and there. But that's because normally Tommy has a very strong idea of what the album is, how he wants to run, you know, okay. from the top to the end and. And but sometimes it's like I don't know which one which is better this way or that way, and then I, I said, okay, let's try this, and that's that's how we. Skartic Circle Gathering Seven, Arm Your Doors and Crosscheck, as stated, was the intro track to the album. However, fans have long wanted to know what the cryptic message actually means at the start and throughout that track, and the meaning actually refers to an aspect of the recording location of the album. Spede Passanen, to be exact. I thought that it's cool if we somehow do this like hidden message in, in, in as a tribute to him there. So those lyrics there, they sound like Latin yeah. or some satanic mm. fucking Latin. And, and it is actually the actors and the, and the, and the role, the names of those, those characters in his films. Uh, but we changed the, 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 
of the syllables. So it's like spede pasan and there I think it's nen sapa or something, you know. So we so I just turned around the I just split it in split the words in you know in in syllables and then they are like like in in an in a in an in a different order there. They are like like backwards. They are not sang backwards but they are like but the syllables are on every sentence or every word are like in a backwards order. That's what it is. And I and I thought that it's easy to you know, easy to you know for a Finn for a Finn that it's easy to actually realize what it but but if but if you don't know i guess it's impossible to yeah. realize when we look at the conclusion of the album we find the dramatic outro track eta at the end of the song sir mr president sir ralph ruiz features on this as the pilot captain ruiz Yeah, we we discussed what the idea was going to be, and since you know I'm constantly flying with my job, and I'm hearing that same you know announcement that they do, you know I was like, okay, you know this is you know, this is your captain, Captain Ruiz speaking once again, and uh, you know we're you know we're coming into I think whatever I, I I forgot where I say Miami or something like that yeah and the weather is 85 degrees winds out of the northwest because you always get that on a plane yeah so so since that was a long kind of speech um it was broken up into parts it's almost kind of obvious where it's kind of broken up into little speeches because you know they, they usually same monotone kind of just blah 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 you know now everyone's got every everyone thinks they're a goddamn comedian you know when they got to say these things but a long time ago it was just like yeah this is captain ruiz 85 miles an hour blah 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 we'll be landing at you know 2 45 p.m so we just did it that way right and then you know so then that's when we started thinking what would what would a captain of an airplane really want to say yeah, yeah, you know, these drunken idiots, these annoying pain-in-the-ass kids and all that stuff, and me having two great-looking stewardesses, which obviously they ended up coming out on the road and being background uh, vocals. Yeah. Katya Avinen and Rita Aipaya, which I'm probably saying wrong, so Katya and Rita, I apologize for that. So they came out on the road, and, you know, we were like, oh, yeah, the last thing I'm going to say is, you know, meet me in the lavatory because I'm going to have some fun with them. Yeah. So um, I ended up coming out on the road. I ended up coming out on the road for like a week with them. And I actually played the Captain Ruiz character uh, on the German shows like uh, Cologne, um, a couple of other spots. And in fact, it was videotaped by uh, one of the one a, a really really cool uh lordy fan i gave her my uh camcorder right in front and she recorded the whole me saying the the speech and anytime i've done this speech it's basically been the recorded saying yeah of what's going on so you know so with that i just went out and had like a little headpiece to make it look like i'm, I'm speaking 
Um, I, I had the the costume of a of a um, an airplane pilot. Yeah. And uh, I just uh, I just lip synced. I just mouthed the uh, the introduction, and also once again did uh, a couple of uh, background vocals on some of the songs for that album. Scare Force One also features a song influenced by a real life experience of Mr. Lordy's. That song being House of Ghosts. Um, <laughs> it's it's a true story. They're true. I mean, those things in Gods of Ghosts, I'm talking about my home. I'm all the lines, every single line in that song is true. It's like, uh, where I'm, okay, I'm living in my grandmother's house. Yeah. Uh, grandparents house mm. uh, it was built in 1930s in the early 1930s and you know so it's my father's you know home he was born here yeah. and uh, so and my grandparents died in 76 and 78 so I barely remember them and, and this house was empty for decades uh, then eventually you know around 2000 and what 10 yeah 9 11 me and my cousin started started to renovate the house you know so blah, blah, blah. so long story short i tried i tried to make this shorter so we started renovating this house uh me and my ex-wife and, and started you know fixing it well not us personally but you know we we hired help you know hired yeah, people yeah. to actually profession. so then all these weird things started happening the dogs were waving their tail to somebody who wasn't there and they were following you know and they were like as if somebody would have you know shown them a tree that hey come here come here and so the dogs would walk to another room and sit down and wake back their tails and you know waiting for a treat and to be pets or something you know and 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 things like that. Even the snakes started turning their heads simultaneously. And anybody who has snakes, they know that snakes don't do that. You know, right. if you even wave your hand in front of a snake, it doesn't necessarily follow it. But then at uh, the time, I think we had, I don't know, 20 snakes or something. So nice. uh, uh, all of them were in the glass, like behind the glass, like waving, like, you know, watching something simultaneously and moving and shit like that. Okay. Oh, then there were shadows moving. I I mean, this is a long fucking story if I tell them all, but it's like, so, yeah. Uh, the, the thing is that there's, there's all kinds of supernatural phenomenon happening here in the house. So, and as it turns out, uh, there was there were like these written messages on the walls here, um, under the under the wallpaper that that had been there for over seventy five years. Right. You know, and we found those then, and and, and uh, they were actually farewell. Letters. And then if we find out that, all oh, right, and, you know, and my parents never told me this, but then, you know, after confronting them, that's funny out that, okay, they were actually, this was one of the Nazi fucking head, radio headquarters oh, during the war. Nice. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there were Russian war prisoners here kept. In the in the farm and and uh, not, a, not and when the when the Nazis left, so you can imagine what they did to the yeah. did to the mm. <laughs> prisoners right here yeah. on, on my yard. Well, and 
I I built my I built my fucking workroom on the spot. So yeah, all kinds of weird shit happened. You know, there are a lot of lot of lot of things. So everything in House of Ghosts is about my home. It's about my fucking house. Uh, now I can happy to tell. I, I am happy to tell that that the that the phenomenons have calmed down a start, but it took a visit with the medium. Really? You know, okay. Years ago, yeah, to actually clear the place, and even after that, there were still weird things happening every once in a while here. Okay. But yeah, Scare Force One was released on Halloween 2014 to much fan acclaim. The band, of course, refreshing their image with the new record. And behind the scenes, there was also a new addition to the team. Jessica Love, aka Jess Psycho, the new costume assistant and prop manager for the band. Lordy, and I think they looked cool when they when 2002, right, or something. When I saw the first music video yeah. of the Voodoo Monster Man, I was like, "Fuck, this is so cool!" And ever since, I wanted to do that some horror mask, and I'm always like the horror movies, right. And because of Lordy, I wanted to learn to, how to do masks because. I, uh, I read that he self-learned and I was like, fuck it, then I can do it myself also. Yeah. Okay. And can you remember the first mask that you designed or costume you designed? Probably my first mask was like some lordy mask or something. I don't okay. know. Nice. And, <laughs> <laughs> and when you actually start doing these masks and everything like that do you have any inspiration before you begin or is it sort of uh, just come up with it, it as you go it depends what i'm like after or what anybody else wants me to do probably my first mask were like something like layer face or something because i love the fucking horror masks yeah okay so it depends on my mood what i want to do and what i want to try how did you end up becoming involved with the band? Well, my uh, uh, it was after some gig of Lordy. My friend gave gave his like uh, business card for him because he draw the some comic things and he wanted to draw some comics for Lordy. Right. And he got to work. He draw one. Uh, at least one comic or and draw something else also for Lordy. And years after that, he moved to the Rovaniemi, to the art school. Okay. And he got like friends with Lordy. And uh, one day, in some day, he just called me and like, hey, we uh, do you want to come and help with the costumes? Right. Like okay. th th there, there, were, there was some like... Uh, uh, photo suit for the Scare Force One, right? And they were all late, like always, and they needed help. And he has asked, like, from Mr. Lordy, that he, I have one friend who is big Lordy fan, and he could help. And he, she's good making masks and stuff. And Mr. Lordy was like, oh my God, some fan coming around like oh no <laughs> and when well i i put my 
clothes on, put my makeup on point, and went there, and they were like, holy shit, why didn't you tell that it's, it's a girl? And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was also pretty good at doing my job. Right, okay. So I helped with the, painting the costumes on that uh, photo shoot for uh, Scare Force One. Right. That was my first contact, like real contact, and I thought that I, I'm good at do, doing stuff, and they're like, okay, cool. And then I helped making some props for the tour, for that tour also. Uh, and it's just, we because I have pretty similar like mind with Mr. Lordy, we like same things and yeah. we have same same kind of taste for the for the uh, horror and movies and music and well now nowadays I've learned like old Kiss and stuff. Yeah, the brainwashing yeah. works. <laughs> and then when you obviously went to see the band that time and met them, I guess you were pretty nervous being a fan. Well, I was. Mm, because I was like, okay, this is my my chance. Because I always wanted to do something with Lordy. That was my childhood dreams. Yeah. And it would be super cool to do something with this band. I, I said that to Miss Lordy that I will make myself indispensable. Right. Okay. And now I'm here and now they cannot go anywhere without yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so you've made yourself a very important part of it all. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's that's also the curse for me. <laughs> <laughs> With Jessico now an essential part of the Lordy crew, the band hit the road for their Scare Force tour. And on this tour, Hella was getting showered with gifts from fans as she was pregnant with her first child. That tour was, was quite... Um how would you say, jump to an unknown to go go on the road being pregnant. So it was quite quite a risk in a lot of ways yeah. from, from for everyone. I had no idea what's coming up and nobody knew what's coming up. Am I going to be able to even play through the, through the tour? But everything went really, really well and definitely the fans' support made it a lot easier. Like, yeah. In the summer of 2015, Hella went on maternity leave from Lordi, but with the group set to play summer festivals, a stand-in keyboardist needed to be sourced. And with Lordi, you can't just get any ordinary substitute, a character needs to be created. That character, and that substitute, would be Nale. And, yes, um, yes. During that period of time, you were you obviously went away for your maternity leave, uh, but Nale came in and he yes. took up playing the keyboards during the festivals that summer. Um, when he joined the band, did you have much involvement in him training and teaching him the songs before you went on maternity leave? Uh, actually, I didn't. He's he's quite a wizard with keyboards, okay. so he didn't need it. He didn't need any help. It's more, it's been more like. Um, He's been helping me out with a lot of stuff later on. Right. Um, he's been involved with, I don't know how many albums now, but he's been like showing me stuff and helping choosing sounds and what kind of keyboards to use and how, how to even play some, you know, these old school Hammond thingies. <laughs> I'm like, no clue. So he's been a lot of help later on for me. Okay. But no, no, I, I didn't need to, <laughs> need to show him a shit. He, he, he totally 
has it. <laughs> He's got it. <laughs> Nale's arrival into Lordi came about due to his childhood friendship with Lordi's drummer, Mana. Well, as it happens, I've known the drummer since, whew, since we were like mm, on the second grade. Yeah. Okay, nice. So, yeah, we've known each other a long ass time. Okay, nice. So, and we actually, the funny thing is that we went to the same school when we were studying. I'm not sure how much information I can reveal here without revealing who we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we went to the same, same school, actually, and where we did meet one other member of the band. This was back in early 2000s, yeah. and I've been so I've been I've, I've known about the band, like and the inner workings of the band as well since you know ages. Right. Yeah. So it was I was already uh, up for consideration for the band actually way back in when Enery left. Oh, right. Okay. That's right. So that's that's a small bit of trivia there, but okay. unfortunately I, it didn't work out back then because I, I'm not a girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it came to take over for Hella for that short period of time, Mana called Nale well in advance to let him know about how things may go down and the songs that he needed to rehearse. The next phase was finding and developing a character and costume for Nale. It evolved as he was doing it. Yes. And, um, and the funny thing is that I didn't get to put on the, uh, the uh, you know, Nala didn't come to life until the day before my first gig. Right. So that was pretty, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I didn't have, I, we had like the rehearsals in, when did we have them? Like in May 2015 or something like that. And then we uh, we had the gig in Rovaniemi in end of July, August, something like that. Right. So between that time when when we did the uh, like the preliminary stuff on the masks and everything, we did that while we were rehearsing. Okay. Right. And, and in between that, I had no idea how, how you know what what would the finish finished product would be yeah. in a sense. Um, how it would feel, how it would fit me, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that was exciting. Yeah. And I had not, I had not played any gigs or rehearsed with the with the uh, costume on or anything like that. So nice. it, it was quite interesting. And the, um, but yeah, it, it kind of like came out, came about like which it just started applying it, and then kind of like at some point it looked well, it kind of looks like. A, lizard or something like what let's let's how would that it, if we give him teeth how would that look like and then it's like oh wait wait a minute it's like it looked like somebody slashed his uh, face open okay now it's and i don't know at some point i think it was our prop girl came in to see and like and she was like no there we go okay and that sealed it <laughs> and that, that was it like okay and immediately when she said that, it's like Lord Tommy himself made the like the nose, yeah, and put it on. But okay, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it became like this whole. Then it started to have the character right. in the sense that it, it became this toy teddy bear that that was 
uh, Hella's toy teddy bear that was like tortured and mutilated and you know it, at least it, it I don't it's not been officially you know I don't know if there's any official like uh, description or whatever but I, that's what I've been toying in my head right. at least Following the summer festivals and the birth of Hella's daughter, Lordi would enter the studio yet again for their next album, Monstereophonic, an album where Nale would be involved by helping out in the studio. This part of season two, we've looked at the evolution of Lordi from Deadache to Scare Force One. A span of eight years which seen much change in the group, both in terms of lineup, but more significantly, in their sound. The next albums after Scare Force One would see the band truly realise the image and new groove they were seeking. And you can hear all about that when part B of season two starts dropping in the weeks before the latest Lordy album project releases. So stay tuned to both Lordy's and True Metal Podcast social channels to find out when that will be. Monsters of Rock, The Lordy Story, is a True Metal Podcast production. The show is presented, produced and written by Matthew Kessie. Head to True Metal Pod's social channels to keep up to date with the production.